0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. So we've got four. So number one, set up and pack up team. We have around four signed up. Yeah. We can do with some more, a good amount more. So if you would like to help with that, please help us with that. Could you come to me or Ben Hazen? Hello. <laughs> sign you up. Number two, we need more helpers for tea and coffee. So again, could you come to me or Ben? Tea and coffee is really important when it comes to evangelism, so (laughs) please. And you sent
1: the links out for those as well?
0: Yes, I've sent the links out. We'll do that again. (laughs) I will sign you up. (laughs) free christmas decorations this saturday from ten thirty a.m i will be in the church we've had a number of volunteers already say that they're ready to help us which is amazing thank you but please the more the merrier we have so many decorations upstairs that we need to bring down we're buying a tree aren't we we are we're buying yeah. a tree <laughs> so that's really fun so please come ten thirty a.m i think I don't really have an end time, we'll just finish when we finish. Can <laughs> <laughs> you? A
1: day. You won't be. Carry yeah. on,
0: sorry. Maybe. Um, <laughs> number four, Christmas sign up. Again, to remind you on the 12th of December, that that's the Sunday. Yeah, this Sunday, family service, invite your friends, your pals, your god sisters, everyone. Um, and then the following Sunday, 19th of December, 4pm and 6.30pm we have our carol services, we will be serving you mulled wine and mince pies. Just in the carol services on the family service. <laughs> but please sign up. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you.
1: And finally, one one more uh, from the lovely Sharon Lester. Oh, we can welcome Sharon as well. We've, we've clapped everybody up.
2: Thank you. It's this time of year again, hampers. We've done a sterling job with them in the past years. We do it different every year. Um, last year we did, I don't know, it was nearly 50 hampers. It was absolutely crazy. We've, we've shrunk it down a bit to make it more manageable and to work with the um, food larder downstairs. So, um, what you need to do is come and see me afterwards if you'd like to contribute um, and collect a label like this off the tree. And you can choose a boy or a girl or a Adult. Um, it's mainly children and you need to purchase something this week, wrap it up and then stick the label that you've got off the tree there onto it and bring it back next Sunday. That would be absolutely brilliant. If that's um, not your thing, then maybe a donation. We'll have a basket over there and you can contribute some money towards that. Um, but, you know, it's just a lovely, lovely way to bless these people. And also, when you wrap it up, pray. Pray for the
1: people who are receiving because it's about blessing the community. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sharon. It's been a real blessing to our community over the last few years, so just encourage you to get involved in that. We are going to have tea and coffee uh, at the end inside. We didn't want to make you stand outside on a day like this today. So uh, it will be served at the back. Can you please still space out a bit? We're going to clear the chairs at the back as well, but um, that would be great. So if you're visiting this morning, we'd love to chat to you at the end. Right, no more from me. Let's welcome Adam. Good morning, good morning. Am I on? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, brilliant. Okay, well look, we are going to look at Luke chapter 24 this morning. So if you'd like to turn to it in your Bibles, that would be great. Alternatively, um, the scripture will come up here on the screen and it's Luke twenty-four thirteen to 35, 13 to 35. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they uh, told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Wow, you know, there is so much in this scripture. When I was reading it, I I was slightly overwhelmed, because every time I read it, I was just seeing something new and something new. Do you have times like that when you read your Bible and you just think, Wow, there's this and this and this. It was just like, you know, an endless pot of things coming out. And uh, I think it's particularly intriguing, this scripture, because it's kind of split level. Did you notice that? Some scriptures you read are kind of, you get two perspectives in one. So we as the reader realise that Jesus is involved here. But the disciples involved don't realise. So we're sort of getting a window, if you like, uh, uh, the way that uh, Luke has written this, he's pushed open a windows to say, come and have a look from this perspective because you're going to get a different perspective from the original disciples and you're going to learn, as you see, a sort of a, a, an overlay of what, what it looks like when you know Jesus is there and also when you think he's not. Do you see what I mean? So you're getting two perspectives here. So I have to say, though, <clears throat> my overriding, sensation, though, when I first read these these uh, scriptures was one of real irritation. Because Jesus is being weird, isn't he? Does anyone else think that? <laughs> he, he, Jesus is being weird. Uh, you know, uh, why does he do this stuff? Why does he, uh, you know, I just was so irritated, to be honest. <laughs> I said, Lord, why have you hidden your identity? Because God is hiding his identity from these two disciples. Why is he doing that? I thought it's a bit odd, Lord, to be doing that. Why doesn't he just walk up to them and say, hey, it's me. I've just risen from the dead. Wow. Hey, we need to have a conversation about resurrection. No, he doesn't. He hides his uh, identity. And then he sort of plays dumb. Uh, he asks them two questions that he, I mean, he knows perfectly well what the answer to these two questions is. He is not having some kind of forgetful moment. He isn't walking along the road thinking, Do you know, I know something important's just happened. I can't quite remember what it is. No, he's not. He knows perfectly well. So why is he doing that? Why is he saying, yeah, tell me what's going on? Is that not weird? Okay. Well, I can do this. And then then they're walking along, and Jesus is explaining all this stuff. And then it's towards the end of the day, and the two disciples say, let's stay at this village. And uh, they say, yeah, great idea. But it says very expressly here, Jesus uh, appeared to be acted as though he was going to carry on. So what he's doing is actually he wants them to stop him and say, no, no, don't go on, stay with us. And I'm really thinking, Lord, if you want to stay there, why don't you just stay there? Why have you got to do this funny game? And that's what it felt to me like. It's playing a game here with these guys. And actually, thinking about where they've been, they've just seen their, their redeemer has just been crucified in the most horrible way. He's been stripped naked. This is the one they thought, he's the redeemer. Here he is, we've invested our hope. And they've just seen him killed horribly by their enemies. And their, their leaders have betrayed. I mean, they've been through a rough time. I think you can argue, actually, from Dr. Luke, as he's been writing this down, I think there's evidence that these guys are just emotionally exhausted. Jesus asked the first question, and it's, this is what it's described as, They stand still and look sad. Now look, if you ask somebody a question and they just gawp at you and don't say anything, what would you think? Man, they're in trouble. there's, There's trouble here. Yeah, emotional exhaustion. And I think they're just whacked by the last few days. So that added to my irritation. I said, Jesus, these guys are really suffering. Why are you playing a game with them? And then it gets even worse. I just thought, oh, I don't believe this. Because eventually he stops. They have this meal together. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. And the moment comes when they recognise him. God reveals his identity. Oh, it's you, Jesus. Yes. And he vanishes. I just thought, I don't believe this. Surely, surely now is the time. To say, yeah, you know, you know, let's talk about crucifixion, the implications for humanity, and wow, isn't that the time to have a conversation? But Jesus chooses to vanish, vanish into thin air at that point. So I was, as you can tell, my initial reaction was, I am frustrated with you. In fact, I felt a bit like, did anyone ever used to watch that program, Fawlty Towns? Yeah. <laughs> you remember Basil Faulty and his wife, Sybil? The whole humour of that programme, not that this is a comedy, but how I felt the frustration was that uh, it was all geared around the fact that uh, Basil wouldn't tell Sybil something. And uh, and they would get into hijinks and all sorts of things would happen. So halfway through the programme, you're shouting at the telly, Basil, just tell Sybil what's going on. A bit like this, you know. Just, just tell her. And I found myself halfway through this scripture saying, Lord, just reveal yourself. Why are you playing this? What are you doing? So you go, there's my general reaction. That's how I was feeling when I first read this. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to work our way through this scripture and we're going to try and work out why Jesus is acting odd all the way through this scripture. Um, But before we do that, there are just a few things I'd just like to look at because uh, I think when you read this scripture, as I say, it's so rich. There are some things that i just like to mention, but I just don't have the time uh, to, uh, to give the kind of detail to it, so I'd just like to mention it before we get into the detail of it. So, uh, first thing I'd just like to mention, which I observe when I read this passage, is um, uh, truth really matters. Truth really matters to God and it really matters to you. In fact, I don't think we realize how much truth matters to you, and what you believe really makes a difference in your life. Just think about what we're reading about. We are reading now about the resurrected Christ. Jesus has just risen from the dead. Awesome. I mean, that's not normal, is it? Maybe in your household it is. Each morning you think, are they going to wake up? Oh, yeah, they are. There we are. (laughs) Risen from the dead. No, no. But Jesus has risen. He was dead. He was dead. And now he's alive. He has just demonstrated victory over death. Death could not hold him. Awesome. And we know from the New Testament, it means this. He was the firstborn from among the dead. That means... They're going to be others. That's you and me. As believers in Christ, he was the first. He's modelling what our future will be. Mm. Life. Life from the dead. Death, oh death, where is your sting? Mm. He has just uh, crushed it. Wonderful. And actually, according to Luke, this appears to be, if not the first, probably one of the first appearances after his resurrection. So this is an important one, isn't it? So you kind of think, Lord, you've just risen from the dead. You're just about to appear to your disciples. What are you going to do with it? What's he going to say? How's he going to... I'll tell you what he's going to do with it. He's going to spend a considerable amount of time correcting his disciples' theology. That's what we're going to do. He spends pretty much the whole time he's with them explaining where they've gone wrong in their thinking. Because they're not believing the truth. We've got to get the truth in you. Yeah. Do, do, you see, do you see what he's doing? Yeah. Very good. It, I mean, it is incredible because he has just risen from the dead. But he's saying, you know that awesome thing, that rising from the dead, we're going to just park that for a minute. <laughs> we're just going to park rising from the dead, just for a minute, until we get this straight in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see how important truth is? The Lord of glory, risen from the dead, he's saying, we've got to sort truth out in your mind first. Wow. Mm. So uh, if you you know, what you believe matters, if your theology, therefore, is wonky, mm. I would suggest this, you will not be seeing God clearly. Mm. In fact, you might not be in your life at the moment, you might not be seeing him at all. Mm. That's what we see here. They didn't understand God and they didn't see him. Wow, okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, uh, Truth really matters to God uh, and to us. Second thing is, even if you feel that God has left you, He hasn't. Who here has uh, gone through a period in their life where they just think, I cannot feel, see, understand, I can't make contact with God? I would be not surprised if actually that's all of us. We all go through at some point as Christians a period where we just think god i just i don't know where you are i know you're alive but you're not you're not in my district you know where where are you these disciples think jesus is dead he's like gone really gone and he's not coming back now i'd like to compare their spiritual state which which is that sorry their uh, emotional state with their spiritual state what does the Bible say? So, as they're feeling terrible, they're feeling low, God is not there, He's abandoned us, He's dead, He's never coming back. The Bible says this Jesus drew near to them and went with them. So, Jesus is right there with them, right there, close. But look at emotionally, where do they fit? Where are they? nobody He's gone, He's not there. Spiritually, where are they? Jesus is right there. Right there. I just thought, it really hit me as I read this. I thought, look at the contrast between these two. If you are going through a period where you just think God has gone, the truth is, he said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And he is right there. He is right there close to you. I was encouraged with that. I don't know if you are, but I am. Third thing is this. God knows what he's doing, even when it appears that he doesn't. Anyone ever thought, I don't know what you're doing, God? Yeah. I mean, I was trying to express that with the frustration in this passage. It appears that he is just doing odd stuff. It's unintelligible. It feels random. It feels, I mean, as I've argued, even slightly cruel to treat these guys like this at this time in their lives. And, uh, you know, it just left me confused and irritated. And I have to say, I have felt like that with God at the times. There have been periods in my life when I have just shouted at him. I said, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know, I don't understand why you just don't do this. And I give come some very helpful suggestions that God might like to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Any one of those I would be grateful for. And I think they're excellent ideas. But God seems to have other ideas. Yeah. So, you know, I just think, I don't understand what you're doing now, what this passage is going to do is going to show to us there are very good reasons why Jesus is behaving the way he is. There's very good reason why he's not revealing his identity, very good reasons why he's asking his questions, and very good reason why he appears to be going on past the village. Very, very good reasons. It's just that at the time they were not understood. And I I just want to say, it's often not until afterwards, after the event, when you look back, that you think, oh, now I see. Who's had that experience where it's only after the event? You look back, yeah, lots of us. You look back and you say, there, you were speaking to me all the time. Look at that. I didn't know you were doing that. You were speaking to me. You were correcting me. You were with me. I I I didn't know where you were. I want to say, I think that's quite common in the Christian experience. Is that sometimes you only know what God's been up to after the event. So if you are going through a, a time right now where you're thinking, I do not know what God is doing, I hope this will comfort you. Because it actually often is not until after the completion of the event, you look back and then you can see it. Yeah. Okay. So those are the first three things I immediately saw. Uh, you know, in a way, each one of those could be a preach, but we haven't got time. Okay. So what's going on in this passage? We're going to work our way through it now. So we see at the beginning, we see these two disciples. We only know the name of one of them, and this is his only reference in Scripture. And they are joined by someone on their walk, which we understand to be Jesus, and they do not. And then Jesus asks them two questions. He says, what are the two of you talking about Now, what's happened in Jerusalem recently? Now, uh, as we said before, God being God knows the answer. He has not had a forgetful moment. He knows the answer to both these questions. So the question we should ask, I think, as we study this question is, why is Jesus asking questions that he already knows the answer to? Yes. Okay. Why is he doing that? What is he actually after? Well, I would suggest God's after this. He wants these two disciples to talk. He wants them to express what they really think. He wants them in a very unguarded way to really unpack what's going on in their heart. Come on, tell me what's really happening. Not just the events, but how do you feel about the events? And that's absolutely what they do, don't they? They don't hold back. They're very real. They express their admiration uh, of Jesus. We can see they're on his side. They say accurately what the religious leaders have done. They've, they've you know, stitched Jesus up, basically, and he's, he's been crucified. And as they begin to unpack what actually happened, and they just begin to talk to God about it, we find out what's going on in their hearts. Because verse 21 says, we had hoped, very much past tense, we had hoped that he would be the redeemer of Israel. Brackets, But because he's died, we don't think that's going to happen now. We must have been wrong, and we're very upset that it's all come to nothing. And then these guys go on, and they just talk, don't they, about what's happened, there, about the women go to the tomb, and then the women have had this sort of vision, and this angel, or whatever it is, said, no, he's not dead, he's alive. I mean, oh, come on, guys, wake up a bit. But anyway, that's what, that's what, they, that's what they report. Now, what's going on in that? Well, the commentators will say this. What this is expressing from these two guys is they're very perplexed. Two very perplexed people, confused, and they're full of doubt. They do not believe, these reports, that Jesus is alive. These are resurrection doubters. I see what we've got here. They don't really believe that Jesus is alive, but what they've just done is they've just laid their cards on the table in front of Jesus. It's, it reminds me of a naughty little schoolboy who doesn't realize he's talking to the headmaster and he tells the headmaster, Everything naughty he's done that term. I've done, done this and this and this. And the headmaster's saying, Oh, right, okay, that's interesting. Yeah? Question. Would they have fessed up in this way had they realised it was Jesus right at the beginning? No. Of course they would. They would have done what all humans do and they would have started polishing their history a little bit, wouldn't they? They would have said, well, you know, I mean, I had a few doubts maybe, but actually I, I thought, you know, actually, the others were much worse. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas is terrible. I mean, how is he even a disciple? I don't know. I mean, he's a shocker. We weren't that bad. I mean, that's kind of what they would have done. Yeah. The classic kind of human thing. But you see, they can't do that now because they've, they've just poured it out. Yeah. Jesus has asked these open questions uh, and out it's all come. And now what's happened? Reality has been faced up to. They faced the reality of what's going on in their hearts. And because they've been honest like this, and not faked it, Jesus is now kind of come and speak powerfully, right to them. He's going to speak, and he's going to change them. I have to say, I, um, I was kind of pondering this, and it reminded me a little bit of, you know that phrase, the dark night of the soul? Yeah. You heard of that phrase? It's a phrase that basically means um, a dark wilderness experience, mm-hmm. a spiritual experience, anguish, or... <clears throat> And often it just goes on for a few days. Um, And it just struck me that, in a way, they've gone through a mini dark night of the soul. Because as far as they're concerned, their saviour is dead. I mean, that's bad to see him crucified, humiliated. To have the leaders of your own people betray this man that you think he's the guy. And, And suddenly they turn on him. And all the things that he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Well, but, but you've just died. What's happening? They are in absolute mess. Why are they going through this dark experience? Why do we go through the dark night of the soul? God's wanting to change us. And actually, what's happening here is that stuff that we would prefer not to own up to is forced to the surface. That's what's happening. God is flushing stuff out. Dark nights of the soul, difficult periods, tend to do that more effectively than anything else. Your real heart is exposed. And once your real heart is exposed, then God can speak into it. Because he's dealing with the reality. Do you see what I mean? You with me? Okay, so they've owned up to their doubt. Jesus then diagnoses the problem. He says this, O foolish ones, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus has just diagnosed the problem. He's just said, this is a belief issue, guys. There's a problem here with a believing. And then he explains what they have believed and what they haven't believed. That is like gold information for us. And he says this. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things, and enter into his glory. So there are two things Jesus is looking at. Entering the glory, the Messiah would be glorious. Uh, Also, he's saying that the Messiah will suffer. So those are the two things. And he's saying, you believe some of that, but not all of it. So the implication here is this. You can believe in a glorious Messiah. That makes sense to them. Are you with me? they can believe in a glorious Messiah of course the Messiah is going to come and be glorious and victorious and powerful yeah we believe that but we cannot believe in a Messiah that's going to suffer that doesn't compute with us because you're going to be glorious successful and powerful and able so why would you be suffering they haven't believed that the Messiah would suffer they only see glory and suffering they have no theology of suffering. None. Jesus is described as the lion and the lamb, isn't he? They can see the lion, they can't see the lamb. That's what's just gone on here. Now why? Why is that bit missing? Why can't they believe in that? Well generally, because that's the general view, uh, of what the Messiah will look like in the first century. If you ask any uh, first century uh, Jew, what will the Messiah look like? They would have said, well, he'll be like, um, like one of these people that have come in the past. be like a, a, a Samson or a King David or a, a Gideon. And what happens is our nation gets invaded by foreigners, which is what's happened right now with the Romans. And then God raises up a great leader and then they're victorious and powerful and we all unite behind them and then we kick them out. And then Israel's great again. Woohoo! And they thought the Messiah was gonna be like that again. And they really want it this time because the Romans are there, and they hate the Romans. And so they say, God, get rid of the Romans. So they had an incentive for the Messiah to look like that. So what's just happened is that their view of God has been shaped by their history and their culture more than the word of God. And that's typical for us. We generally are more influenced by our history, our personal experience, how we've grown up, stuff that's happened to us, the culture that we've grown up in, far more than what we believe in the Word of God, aren't we? Now, there's a big consequence to that. The consequence is that they don't believe the truth They have a totally wrong expectation of events that left them sad and doubting because glorious messiahs uh, don't suffer and die Is that really the time okay I was going to talk a little bit about uh, how uh, Jesus rebuked them so just in passing just need to note that I think actually Jesus rebukes these two guys. He calls them foolish, oh foolish ones. Uh, If you're a disciple, can I just say this? Sometimes, because God loves you, he will rebuke you. He will say, what are you doing? And actually, that's really good. Because a godly rebuke brings strength and health and light. It stops you being foolish. It says, oh, what am I doing? And it gets you moving in a different path question is how do we handle that? Do we have enough humility to handle a rebuke? We don't like rebukes, particularly when they come through another person. Yeah. Don't like that, do we? No, oh, oh, No, I don't want that. No, no, Jesus rebuked his disciples because he loved them. Get them on the straight and narrow. Okay, we're going to fast forward now to They arrive at the village, so they've been chatting, Jesus has been uh, showing the scriptures to them, he's been showing where he is in the Old Testament scriptures, and they've had this fantastic day, it says their hearts are now burning within them, these two guys, and they get to the village, and it's late at night, and they're going to stop for something to eat and a place to stay. And then we have this odd thing, where Jesus appears to go on past, which I think we all agreed at the beginning was odd. Was weird, don't we? Yes, weird. So why is he doing that? Would you like to know why? Good, because I'm going to tell you. I think what's going on here is that Jesus is giving these disciples the opportunity to have more of him. But it is optional. It is optional. If they want it, they're going to have to make it happen. They have to press into god and persuade him to stay and there are times in our lives when if you want more of god you're going to have to knock on his door you need to get up to him he won't spoon feed you with everything everything you need for life and godliness is not found through the preaching here i'm sorry i mean it's good i hope but it's not going to do you you need him he needs to speak to you, which means you need to get on your knees and say, Jesus, I need you. Will you stop? Don't pass the, me by. You know, and be provoked by others. When you see someone else moving in something of God, and you think, oh, that's really good. I wish I could do that. I'd love to be able to do that. Get on your knees and just say, Jesus, will you not pass me by? You know, you haven't passed them by. Don't pass me by. Come in. Explain to me what's going on. And uh, we see that Jesus is very persuadable. So he doesn't carry on. He says, "Yes, yeah, sure, I'll stay. In we go. And then he goes in. And then we hit the crescendo of all of his teaching that's happening right now. Because they have a meal together. And uh, he takes the bread. The bread is served to them. This is an incredibly powerful image. Jesus, the resurrected uh, 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 Messiah, the lamb of God, who has just been sacrificed, just raised from the dead, takes the bread, the image of his own body, and breaks it. I just, As I was reading, I just thought, oh Lord, that's just so powerful. This is what needed to happen breaks it, And uh, of course what he's doing is demonstrating, it's extraordinary that it? these two disciples did not realize that Jesus needed to die on the cross for the sin of the world. Had they never read Isaiah 53? <laughs> Clearly not. And that's, I'm sure, one of the things Jesus would have explained to them. No, Jesus had to bear the sin of the world. How awful would it have been had Jesus come and not died on the cross? So Jesus has just brought tremendous revelation. I mean, I question how long have these disciples been around, really? Come on, guys, wake up. But, but Jesus has explained, no, jesus uh, he had to die. So that the sin of the world could be could be dealt with, so that people could have right relationship again with God. So they now understand that he's paid that price. They now understand that there is a lion and a lamb. They understand the lamb of God who was sacrificed for the sin of the world. And as they understand that, as Jesus breaks the bread, demonstrating, yeah, this is what happened, they see him. Boom! Jesus. Oh, it's you! Their thinking is corrected, and now their experience is following along behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you see how important it is to believe the truth? They believe the truth, then they see God. Wow. <clears throat> now, now it comes to the point where he vanishes. Now, would you like to know why Jesus vanished? Yeah, I do, yes. Uh-huh. yes, so would I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But every commentator I read has a different view. And it tends to be when all the commentators don't agree, that really means they don't know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are lots of options. Uh, some say that, you know, it could, could be said that his teaching was complete, therefore the mission was over, so he vanished. Uh, some say uh, he, res- he demonstrated that he was resurrected from the dead, so that was the mission, so, so he vanished. Um, Some people say, well, it was a a further invitation to seek him further. Just like he was saying, you know, come and, you know, we want you to stay with us at the village. The fact that he was there and then vanishes, is is that another invitation to seek me again, to find me again? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) And I guess in in this life, you know, there are mysteries with God. There are times when just confusing stuff happens God doesn't do what we expect. But we just have to accept there is no good, clear, clean reason why God has done what he's done. Are, are any of you living with things that you think, I don't understand why this has happened? Anyone living with that? Lots of us. Sometimes there are just times when we will not know in this life. And I, that's the best I can put onto that, actually. Okay. I do not know. But we trust that God's good don't we and when God does something we know it's good it's positive and it's helpful even if we don't understand it the only thing we can say I guess here is that these disciples don't seem to be complaining have you noticed that they're not grumbling like I am they are they are absolutely full of energy they have just seen the risen Lord that's what they've just seen And now they know he is alive and not dead. You see, they believed in a glorious Messiah. And what have they just seen? A glorious risen Christ. They've got what they believed in. They've just seen. And uh, they don't seem to be sad anymore. They're not confused. They're not tired. And they seem to get up and they go back to Jerusalem that same night. uh, And they find that Simon has also encountered the risen Christ. See, what's happened is they've been in the presence of God and it has utterly changed them. They've been in God's presence and they are, their hearts are burning. They, they were terrible. Now they're alive with, oh God, look, he's alive. Yes. It's the same for you and me. Days of confusion and pain and doubt can be turned around in a moment when we encounter him. Seeing Jesus does that for us. Look, what we're going to do is we're going to draw things to a close, but we're going to break bread together. So just before his crucifixion then, Jesus said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat this together. So they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you and it's the new covenant in my blood. Strictly. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you again for your awesome victory on the cross. We thank you that your blood was shed and that your body was broken so that we could have life, our sins forgiven and eternal us, Father, uh, Lord, we remember you again this morning. We remember what you accomplished. And we just say to you, we are so grateful. Thank you for making this information known to us. Thank you for being willing to come as a lamb as well as a lion. And Lord, just this morning, we worship you again. We praise you. Thank you for your amazing goodness to us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.